Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. On the central AC units, uh, uh, when you're talking about the sear uh, type of AC units, they say not to necessarily go with the highest sear, but somewhere in the middle of the road. Is that correct? Well, usually, be, uh, and, and mostly it's just because cost effectiveness. I mean, yes, you can get more energy efficiency out of the higher sear, but it, it starts getting so expensive that you don't save enough on the energy bill to justify the cost. Uh, as far as uh, brand names, what are uh, good ones? Well, I would be looking at something between 16 and 18 sear. You can go a little higher if you want, but that that's typically the, the range where you're going to get the biggest bang for the buck. Take a look at Carrier. Uh, that's a good brand. American Standard. Train, Lennox, uh, those are all good top-line systems that will last you for years to come. Good. Uh, well, I've made a good choice. I went with the Train 16 Sear. Uh, had everything inside and out replaced, uh, heater and condensing and evaporator and a whole bit. Uh, on the uh, evaporator, uh, didn't they make a change to what they make them out of now as opposed to years back when they started having cracking problems? Well, some manufacturers have changed them over the years. I mean, uh, some of them have had issues depending on where their materials came from. Uh, bluntly, when they started getting a lot of the copper and different things from China, we started having more issues. And right. so, yes, they did have to make some some changes with it you know the the one thing systems are important uh whether you know whether it's the air conditioning system or the the brand of roof that you buy or uh you know the, the brand of car you buy everything the brand does make a difference but when it comes to air conditioning systems roofing things like that the installer can make a huge difference as well because if it's not all installed exactly the way it's supposed to be, you can run into an energy efficiency problem on that end as well. So, but yeah, you, if you bought a trained system, you you bought a good system. Okay, and uh, they said something about let it run for two weeks and then have them come back out and check everything, make sure everything's up to snuff. Is that right? I've never had to to do that before, but yeah, that's. That's uh, usually well, just a, a customer service thing. Right, and, you know, make sure the, the free unlevel's still holding and, you know, yeah. so on and so forth. And uh, I noticed uh, before the old unit, uh, the master bedroom, which is the furthest away from the uh, unit, used to stay pretty cold, and now not so much. And I was just thinking maybe it's the way the vents are open in the rest of the house where it's not pushing enough to that far room. Well, you're probably right. It's not pushing enough, but it shouldn't be the vents. It's probably in the dampers, uh, and it very well could be as they hooked everything back up. Did they did they have to redo the ductwork, or or did they just uh, use the existing not, ducts? They used the existing ductwork. It was in really good shape. They cleaned it, and uh, 
were supposed to hang it, which I noticed they didn't hang because all the ductwork was laying on the insulation, and they were supposed to hang the ductwork. Okay. Uh, I'm going to call them out for that because I guess the heat transfer between the insulation and the duct isn't, isn't supposed to happen. And how about the plenum? Did they replace it? Where, where all the ducts tie in? They replaced everything. The whole okay. shoot, the whole shooting match. Yeah, and see, the, that can make a little bit of a difference on how it flows because, you know, if the pipe was originally tied in at the bottom of the plenum and now it's tied into one of the sides of the plenum or something, that can change right. how the air flows. And, and so they have to rebalance the system with the dampers. Okay. And right. that's a really minor adjustment. Right. Okay. Well, you answered everything I needed to know, and I'm, I'm glad I made the right decision on the, on the brand and everything. So uh, I appreciate your help. You bet, Steve. Take care. And, you know, like I was talking about, installation makes all the difference in the world, uh, especially on things like air conditioning systems, roofing systems, things like that where the skilled trades need to be dealt with you know when it comes to air conditioning systems not only is it the installation but the servicing that can make a difference as well and so and quite frankly all, all honestly I, I own an air conditioning company and that's one of the things we like to make sure of and if you're looking at getting a new air conditioning system whoever comes out make sure they're doing a load calculation and that's where they gotta have the square footage look at which way the house is facing, what the windows are, insulation. All of this gets plugged into a computer system that then says what size to use because there are so many variables nowadays. And you've got to pick matching units for the inside and outside. It's amazing how often uh, contractors will come out and say, oh, well, you got a four-ton, we'll just put another four-ton in here. And with newer air, air conditioning systems, that may not be the right way to do it. Especially if you've done any upgrades to the home, like change the insulation or replacement windows, things like that can make a huge energy savings difference. So uh, make sure whoever you, you have come out and look at your air conditioning system or install a new one for you is doing those items. Robert, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, how are you doing? I have a question about uh, caulking. I'm, yeah. I have a uh, some windows that have a uh, are set directly into a stucco type. It's actually an ethos exterior, and okay. I need to seal around them. And I've been looking at silicone versus non-silicone, and and I discover a lot of the silicones are not paintable. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what's the advantages and disadvantages of silicone, you know, for uh, directly on glass and ethos, and, and also uh, what's the, you know, why aren't they paintable, some of them? Well, if it's a pure silicone, paint just plain won't stick to it. So typically what you're going to look for is a siliconized caulk, and those are typically paintable. It has some silicone in it, but it's not a pure silicone. And, and that t typically will be paintable. Uh, what? Your other choice, there is a product, you know, because of, of what you're going to be using it on, there's a product called Big Stretch. And it's more of a commercial-type product, uh, caulking that has a lot of elasticity to it because 
you're putting it you know between the window and the stuck in the ephus and that ephus has a lot of elasticity and expansiveness to it that that big stretch will give better than a regular siliconized caulk will uh but a siliconized caulk would do you just fine there what what's the advantage of the silicone versus the non-silicones longevity the non-silicon caulks will typically have a five uh, five to ten year uh, span lifespan where some of the siliconized caulks uh, that's where you get into the 30 and 50 year now you're not in our climate going to get 30 or 50 years out of it but when you put a, in our climate a 10 year caulk on, on your windows you're typically going to get three to five years out of it if you put a 50-year on there, in our environment, you're probably going to get something in the range of 15 years. Okay. What, uh, one other question on your ready seal. You, I hear you talking about it, um, and you're saying you can spray that on. Can you spray that with just a pump-up sprayer, and do you need a special uh, nozzle end for that, or, or what do you recommend? No, nope, you don't need a special end. Just a, a pump-up sprayer will, will do just fine with it. Put it in straight, don't have to dilute it or anything? Nope, just straight in. Okay, thank you. You bet. Take care. Yeah, that, that uh, Ready Seal is a real easy product to use. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Cliff, how are you today, Cliff? Doing good, Jim. Hey, I live on seven acres, and I built a, so I've got a water well that's 385 foot deep. It seems to be good water. And so I built this house in 2013, and they installed PEX in it uh, for the plumbing, which uh-huh. seems to be okay, but I've got a manifold in the in a area here, yep. and I've, I've played with it before, and all the valves worked. And the thing is, I've only got one water cut off, and that would be way out at the well. And so, you know, that would be turning the water off to the whole house if I had a problem. So I went in there the other day, just, uh, I thought, well, I'll manipulate these and just make sure they work. And they're all frozen up. And, and, you know, it's a plastic manifold, so I didn't want to get a pair of pliers and force it. I'm thinking I'll break it and cause even more problems, but... Is there anything I can do to unfreeze those valves in the manifold? Truthfully, nothing that I know of. Uh, because typically the only thing that will uh, build up on those plastic ones like that and stick them is, is just the, uh, the hardness of the water. Do you, do you have some hard water there? Well, I'm sure I do. I think all the water down here is hard, but yeah. you know, I don't see buildups on anything else. All of the faucets work good, and you know nothing seems to clog. All the appliances are okay, but I was just so surprised. And you know, I turned it with all my strength in my hand, but I said, you know, I'm afraid if I put a crescent on it or anything like that, I'm going to break something. So, when was the last time they were turned on and off? Oh. I probably did it the first year or two. Now it's been yeah. six years, so it's probably been four years since I manipulated them. Yeah, yeah. They, they, 
really there's something that have to be turned off like once a year just to break everything loose and keep it working. I'll tell you what I would do if it was mine. Uh, I would probably have another manifold on hand to change it out. And then I would go ahead and use a wrench to pop those things loose. Chances are real good you're not going to break the manifold. It, it's just going to break the, the crust loose and, and start working again. But they may not seal off completely like they used to. Uh, but that would be how I would handle it. And then if, it, if the manifold breaks when you're bearing down on it, you got the other one ready to pop into place. If it doesn't, you just take that one back then. Would that be something I could do myself pretty easy to replace that manifold? Uh, depending on how, depending on how they had, uh, what type of system you have, like uh, the, I, we install a lot of PEX systems, and we have a tool that expands the PEX. You put your fitting in, and then it clamps down onto the the pipes and the fittings and such. Because PEX, the nice thing about it. Uh, it, it expands, but it contracts back to its original size. And so if you didn't, ha if that's the way they did it and you don't have the tool, then no, you, you got an issue. Now, I think you can rent that tool from some of the supply houses. So you could check with like a Moore Plumbing Supply or Morrison, places like that. And if that's the case, it's real simple to use and real quick to do. Okay, well, I appreciate it. I'll probably get me another manifold. If it were to break, I'd just go turn the water. Well, maybe I'd turn the water off first and then do it. Prob probably probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And then if well, I do break it, I'd probably just it, call a plumber. <laughs> you know, the thing is, if something breaks, it's really not going to probably be the manifold. It's going to be that that plastic handle on it. Mm, that would be good. Yep. Yeah, you know those those handles you pull off and you move them around. You know, yeah. Every valve has one on it, and I need to take one out and look at it and see how strong I think it is. Yeah, but yeah. I need to have this fixed because if I were here, I could run out to the well and turn it off. But I'm not sure my wife could do that. But I'd like her to be able to get in there and you know turn it. You know, if we got one thing leaking, you know. Be able to turn that one thing on and off. That's the nice thing about those manifolds. It is. Yeah. I will tell you, they've, okay. they've, a lot of places have quit putting the manifolds in, though, uh, because they did have these type of problems where, you know, they were typically up in the attic, not accessible. People weren't going up and, and using them periodically, and so by the time they needed them, they were frozen anyways. Yeah, mine's in the laundry room, so oh, easy yeah. access. Well, yeah. <laughs> Man, you don't even have an excuse for not doing it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I did it once, and I thought, well, I'm good, you know. And yeah. But All right. I tried it here. Okay, I appreciate it, Jim. I'll let you move on to another one. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay, Spray foam insulation on a vaulted ceiling. Have a two-story home with large open living room, 24 by 24, slopes from 40 feet to 24 feet. Ceiling covered with tongue and grooved boards that butt up against the roof plywood. Current one-inch foam board is insufficient insulation. Rest of house has standard ceiling and attic overhead. 
am interested in spray foam insulation contractor if that would be appropriate for home to avoid sick house syndrome. And this comes from Elaine in Forney. And Elaine, first of all, if you have the uh, tongue and groove boards, I'm guessing they're, they're attached to the, to the ceiling joist, the roof rafters, rather. Uh, and the plywood is on top of the, the two-by material, probably a, given the length that you got there, probably going to be a two-by-eight or a two-by-ten. And your tongue and groove is attached on the bottom side, so it's got a void in there that could be filled. And truthfully, on a situation like that, spray foam insulation is ideal. Now, I would look at the spray foam that is a closed cell. And the reason for the closed cell, if water ever penetrates through the roof, it's not just going to absorb into that insulation and sit on your wood. Uh, it actually doesn't absorb water. So that's what I would take a look at. Garland Insulation is a company that can help you out with that. Give them a holler. And, uh, you know, you may have to wait till the next time you replace the roof so you can get access from the top, though. That's just the downside of it. We'll be back. Let's head to Alvarado. Tom, how are you today? I'm all right. How are you? Except it's too hot. Well, I'm inside where it's air conditioned, so I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I punched a bunch of holes in my pasture this morning to set a fence. And uh, I've got some treated fence posts. And I've also got some cedar fence posts on the the front side that are going to be my pretty side, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, my neighbor said that uh, instead of using concrete, I could use pea gravel. And uh, I went to read about it, and I saw something about crushed gravel. And I'm calling you to ask. Okay. Well, I'll be honest. I still use concrete. Okay. And always have, but I don't mix it. I I put a little bit in the bottom of the hole, drop my post in, uh, you know, get everything nice and plumb, and I dump about six to eight inches of concrete in there dry. I use the shovel handle to pack it, and I'm able to be tipping the post to get it level that way. And I I just keep doing that all the way up every you know six eight inches, packing it six eight inches, packing it. Uh, to make sure I'm keeping my post level, if you'll take two washers, or actually four washers, and two pieces of string, tie a washer on each end, and then tie the two strings together in the middle, you just drape that over it, and you don't have to sit there with a four-foot level trying to plumb a post up, because the strings hang down the side with the washers. If all the washers yeah. are touching the post, it's nice and plumb. It's quick and easy, uh, nice. especially when you're packing the stuff in. Okay. The, the moisture in the soil itself will migrate into that concrete and set it up. But run the concrete up and dome it in the top a little bit so when it rains, the water sheds away from the post. The issue I've always had with putting gravel, crushed concrete, things like that is it actually will hold water against the post at all times. And in, in my opinion, it speeds up the rotting process a little bit. Okay, so it doesn't offer, like the, the crushed gravel doesn't offer better drainage? 
No, because our type of soil, now Alvarado soils are a little bit different. You got a lot more rock in the soil there. But uh, in general, when you're dealing with the black gumbo clay soils, water's yeah. going to settle to the lowest spot. And where that fence post is is the lowest spot. So if there's any voids between the materials, that's where the water's going to puddle. Okay. Should I? In sandy soils, I, uh, that works fine. Should I tar the bottom of the post or anything? I don't. I never have, and I typically get like thirty years or or more. Okay. I mean, it it they hold up well. Okay. And when you do it the way you're talking about, I can go ahead and after I'm done, I can start stretching fence right away, right? Because there's immediately. Okay, that's the nice thing about not yes. using wet wet cement. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Well, that that's a big help. Thank you. You bet, Tom. Hey, have fun out there. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I, the reason I called, I was I hadn't even thought about calling you, but the guy that was talking about steel, and he he's the Whiz Q Stone guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was thinking about my chainsaw. That I need to take it over to him, but. Uh, he started talking about stone at the end of that, and then you you kind of talked to this other stone company that sprays on the walls and all that, and, and I thought, wait a minute, I got a question that has nothing to do with either one of those, but kind of, and that's yeah. why I thought about it. But I, I appreciate your show. I listen to part of it almost every week. So good. Anyway. Well, I appreciate that, Brendan. How are you today? Jim, I'm doing great, sir. Thank you very much. Enjoy the show. Been in Dallas a few years now and uh, picked up on your thing every Saturday driving to work. So it's been great to listen to you. I have a question. <clears throat> Bought a house uh, a few months ago and a great house, no real problems here. But we have a laminate floor issue where it's buckling right in the middle. And from what I've been able to read about it, <clears throat> it's either a water issue or it wasn't spaced proper on the outside. Now, this buckle is right smack in the middle of the room. So... I'm assuming it's a spacing issue. And I went to a local mom and pop to see what they could do for it, if there was any kind of repair. And they jumped right into a total replacement without even coming to see it or anything. So I'm thinking, do you have any experience with uh, replacing an issue, uh, repairing an issue like that? Or uh, what do you know about yes. that? I, I have. And, and let me ask you a quick question. You know, where it's buckled up, to, I'm assuming this is a floating floor, correct? <clears throat> yeah, it seems to be. It's, yeah, and it's right yeah, in the middle. Not- and uh, yeah, looking so at the previous picture of the house where we bought it, they had a giant four-by-four four ottoman to just cover the bubble. So I'm sure it's been there for quite a while. Yeah. Well, more than likely, it's like you think, and it's a, it's a space issue where it was probably put in too tight on the edges to begin with. So when the floor expanded a little bit, pops up in the middle in order to relieve the expansion problem. The nice thing about a lot of these snap-together floors like that is you can disassemble them and reinstall it and so hmm. somebody who does flooring sh- it, it, it depending on the floor obviously but they'll probably be able to come in and take it apart trim one edge so that it doesn't happen again but reassemble it and it'll be nice and flat then that's what i'm over for and it sounds reasonable to be able to do that it doesn't seem like a whole replacement is i was felt like i was upselled you know and i yeah. got a bad taste on mouth after you know i like to support the local people too you know and, Sure. So I'll just have to shop around, I guess, when it comes to that. So. Yeah. Oh, what you're looking for, though, is is not not necessarily a flooring shop. What you're looking for is an installer. 
Okay. That's good to know. Okay, I'll make yeah. sure I look for uh, an installer then. Yeah. I'm just glad yeah. to have an indoor uh, task this time of year instead of something outside, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it. Enjoy the show. You bet. Bye-bye. All right. Mike, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Uh, I had sent you an email previously about a uh, foundation problem that I was having at my treehouse. It's in the hill country. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And the, one of my foundational boards is tilting and uh, continues to tilt a little bit more every time I go up there. Yeah. And um, I had responded. Did I, you not get it? I, yes, and I saw your response. Okay. And you, you asked about flipping another foundational board kind of behind the other one. But there's no space for that. So I was looking for maybe another solution. Well, what I, what I'm what I was missing from the email is how how are the boards going across and attached right now? So the trees. So this board goes between two different trees, and there are tabs that are uh, long metal tabs that are drilled into the tree. The okay. boards are um, attached to the tab. Gotcha. And that's why there's not space to, to attach something else then. Right, right. Yeah, because what I was picturing, picturing in my head is you got a board that's running and it's attached to the tree. And I was thinking, okay, well, we ought to be able to go to the other side of that branch or yeah. trunk or whatever and, and hook another one. Okay. And so what, what exactly is happening then? As, as the tree is growing up, it's just putting too much torque on everything? Yeah, so the tree's kind of growing away from the tab, so that the tab, um, so the foundational board is is leaning the other way to compensate for that. Okay. Well, so what I was thinking about doing was putting in some sort of pillars or something that I could just right, and that's that's what I was just going to say. I mean, you you had asked about you know putting in some posts. And quite frankly, right. that would permanently fix this problem because you can drill that into the ground, bring it up, attach that tab onto it, and then the tree can grow whichever direction it wants. Right. Is this one of those gnarly a... uh, oak, pin oaks that they got up there? <laughs> no, it's a, a cypress. Oh! Texas cypress, yeah. Yeah. D- put the post so in. <laughs> I, my, my other ones are oaks, but... Uh, this one happened to be a cypress. Yep. Okay. So is there uh, is there a contractor that you know of or that you would recommend that would be able to uh, come out there and put those posts in for me? Truthfully, I don't know anybody who would come out and do just the one post that way. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you who I would look for. Given what, how, how high how high how high off the ground is this? Uh, it's probably ten feet off the ground. Okay. I would look for a fence contractor who's willing right. to come in and drill the hole for you. He's going to charge you out the nose to do it because it's just yeah, one hole. Then he's going to have the you know the drive time set up and all that. Whether he's drilling mm-hmm. one or or twenty, it's the set drive time and setups the same. So. But a fencing right. contractor who puts fences in that area would have the equipment to drill the hole you need. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You bet. Good luck. Mike, do me a favor. Yeah, yes. I would love to see a picture of this thing. Would you mind sending me I beg one? your pardon? I would love to see uh, a picture of it. Yeah, I can do that. 
So I just go okay. on your website and send it to you? Yeah, or or, or my uh, email is jim at thipro.com. Okay. I'll send you some pictures later today. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Jim. Talk. I appreciate it. Here's the things that you want to look at when you're buying replacement windows. How much dead air, how much dead air space is there between the window panes themselves in your glass packs? Because that is some place where different manufacturers have different thicknesses. Some of them only have a quarter inch. Some of them have a half inch. America's Choice Windows uses seven-eighths of an inch. Uh, and where that comes into play, one, it makes it a little bit more energy efficient, not enough that it really makes a, a, a lot of any difference on your electric bill. But where it does make a difference is on the sound from outside coming in the house. The bigger that air gap, the less noise you get from outside. Um, then beyond that, you know, all of them are going to tell you, oh, we use virgin vinyl. They all use virgin vinyl. There are no windows that I know of at this point in time that are recycled materials. So you, you can throw that one out the window. But how they're installed, the installation crews can make all the difference in the world because if there's huge gaps around the sides that they got to fill in, that's a place where it's less energy efficient. So the measurement of the windows, because all replacement windows are custom made. They measure the opening to with an eighth of an inch, slide it in, and then have to caulk and seal everything. If they end up with a half inch, some of them are wanting to put boards around and things like that. They need to just have another window made. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.